What up, family? It's episode 100 of The Genius Life. Oh man, episode 100. Can you believe it, you guys? We made it. Episode 100. All thanks to you, the listener who tunes in week after week and has subscribed and has left that rating and review. It means the world to me, you guys. Um, the show keeps getting better and better. Our guests keep getting better and better. The number of downloads that we get on this show get uh, higher and higher every single week. Um, the ratings and the reviews, I think we have like five, almost 2,000 five-star reviews on iTunes at this point, which is just amazing. Like, there's no other health podcast that has the level of ratings and the level of engagement that we have here at the Genius Live. So I just want to say thank you to you who's listening to this. I don't know where you are or who you are, um, but uh, I, you know, I appreciate you, and uh, I'm doing this for you. I'm also doing it for me, but I'm doing it for you um, in no small part. So thank you so much for being here week after week. Um, yeah, it means the world to me. This episode of the show is a really great one, one of my favorites. It features my good friend InQ. Now, you might be saying to yourself, InQ, what kind of name is that? Well, InQ is an award-winning poet. His real name is Adam, but everybody around, people who know him, know him by the name InQ. He's known around the world, and his poems contemplate universal issues of love, loss, forgiveness, and belief, real human uh, issues. And so if you're human, you're going to really get a lot from the next hour and 15 minutes where uh, NQ actually shares three of his poems with us. He has a new book out that I'm super excited to celebrate. It's his first book, so I want to show it all the love and support that it deserves. It's called Inquire Within. You can pick it up at in-q.com. Uh, it's an amazing book. He's he's really talented. And so uh, this is going to be a unique format for the show, which I thought was really special for the 100th episode of our show. Um, it's not just going to be interview style or, you know, we don't really do interviews here at The Genius Life. We have conversations, but uh, within the conversation, you're going to have three um, performances from NQ. So strap on your seatbelts. This is going to be amazing. Um, and uh, again, his new book is called Inquire Within. It's bomb. I highly recommend picking it up. Uh, whether you like poetry or not, um, this is one of those books that you're going to definitely want to have on your on your coffee table. So strap on your seatbelts. This episode of the show is brought to you by my good friends at Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic makes a range of coffees and lattes and protein powders infused with medicinal uh, mushrooms, including lion's mane, reishi, chaga. I really love their coffee that incorporates uh, both lion's mane, which has been purported to possess cognition-boosting properties, uh, with chaga. Chaga um, has actually been called the king of mushrooms in the past. It's been used for hundreds, if not thousands of years by people, um, and it contains uh, really cool compounds like polyphenols and polysaccharides and beta-glucans, all of which have been um, suggested to play a role in supporting your immune system, which of course you know is incredibly important. And I find that by using their instant coffee packets, which contain organic coffee along with lion's mane and chaga, uh, it's a really easy way to incorporate these mushrooms into your daily routine, which uh, of course I dig, makes it easy. And I also find that um, you know, well, their coffees are, they have less caffeine than your typical cup of coffee because their coffees are cut with these very, very earthy tasting mushrooms. So um, you won't even know that you're drinking mushrooms, super tasty. And uh, I think that they definitely play a synergistic, uh, they have a synergistic um, 
sort of entourage effect with the coffee. If you'd like to give anything that Four Sigmatic produces a try, I've got good news for you. All you got to do is go to foursigmatic.com slash max or use promo code max, and you'll get to save a whopping 15% off of your entire order. That is foursigmatic.com slash max or promo code max. And uh, yeah, you'll get to say 15% off, which is a decent amount of cheddar, which you can then use to either pick up my man in Q's new book, Inquire Within, or um, my new book, The Genius Life. Well, we're just seconds away from this illuminating um, and inspiring uh, chat with um, NQ, who, as I mentioned, is going to perform some of his poetry for us, which I'm so excited for. Uh, before we get to that, I want to give a shout out to um, Amy from Middle America. That's her username, who left this glowing review for the podcast on iTunes. Amy wrote... Thank you. I love your podcast and will buy your book. You are helping out both genders and don't seem scared. Don't seem too scared to dive into female hormones. I ain't scared of anything, Amy. If it's health related and it's going to lead to a more genius life for um, you, for men, for women, for people who don't necessarily um, identify with any particular gender, you're out there. Uh, I'm going to go for it. So thank you for being a listener and a subscriber and... um, yeah, I hope to continue to bring you episodes that are relevant to you, no matter uh, what your gender, race, religion, sexual orientation, color, you name it. This is one big human family. Uh, before we dive in, guys, please join my newsletter at maxlugavir.com. Every week I send out really important updates. Join my text message community. You can do that easily by sending the word, texting the word genius to 310-299-9401 if you live in the U.S. or Canada. And, uh, oh yeah, we recorded this about um, three weeks or four weeks ago. So we're going to reference the coronavirus in this chat and it might seem like the language we're using is a little dated, so just be mindful of that. And then also, NQ uh, has a tour coming up, or had a tour coming up at the time of recording, which is obviously um, has obviously been postponed. And he just references those dates, which are obviously not happening at the end of the show. So I just want to give you guys a heads up. Uh, but other than that, this is a great episode, so let's go. Cool. Well, NQ, thank you so much for being on The Genius Life with me, brother. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. You are the last person doing an interview in my current apartment in West Hollywood. So this is sort of like the, I guess they call it like the champagne shot in in like movie making, you know, yeah. like the last shot. Um, I, I'm honored. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, it's a little bit messy, but um, dude, it's I'm in transition, you know? Yeah. Transitions. I feel like you talk about transitions in your new book. Yeah. I mean, life is just a constant transition. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, well, I'm a huge fan of your work. I've seen you perform. We have a lot of mutual friends, and it's sort of like I've heard for many years, even before meeting you, in surround sound how great you are, just from like all, you know, like I can't even count the number of people. Um, and I'm so excited for your new book, Inquire Within. Thank you, man. Ditto. I've heard the same things, and I'm happy to be sitting with you here now and uh, looking forward to chatting about life and love and poetry. What was it like putting your, because you're a spoken word poet. I mean, your, your, your work, your, your lifeblood has existed in the spoken word form, you know, and this is your first book. So what, yeah. was it, what was it like, like putting them down on paper, like into the written word form? First of all, it was the best artistic experience of my life hmm. in terms of the things that I learned as a writer and as a performer. Um, in general, I don't strategize my inspiration when I'm writing my poems. So, you know, I don't think, what does my audience want to hear? 
or what's popular, you know, in social media right now. That's not where I start from. I start from a place where I'm moved or annoyed or inspired. And if I start in a place that's true, the rest of the poem will almost write itself if I give it enough time and space. Um, so for me to gather all of these pieces into one place, in a weird way, was the first time that I've been able to see what I've been trying to say all of these years. Hmm. You know, And that's really why I called the book Inquire Within. I mean, if you look at the cover, it's the tree, you know, and the branches of the tree mirror the roots. And when you turn it to the side, it looks like lungs. Oh, wow, it does. And, you know, the two parts of the book are inhale and exhale. And inhale is, of course, like the poetic hero's journey. It's the personal poems. And exhale is the social and political stuff. So it's, you know, change yourself, change the world. Um, but the reason that we called it Inquire Within was because I had to inquire within myself to create it. People have to inquire within the book to check it out and also inquire within themselves. And what I learned from rereading all of my material is it's really about turning your pain and alchemizing it into something else. Um, consumerism in general, I mean, it's constantly trying to take from us these days. You know, it takes our likes, it takes our love, it takes our money, it takes our time, which we can't make more of or buy more of. It takes our information, you know, and it's constantly almost training us to externalize our validation, you know, to look outside of ourselves for the answers. So it's like, if I don't know something, what do I do? I look on Google or I go on YouTube or something like that. But it's always me looking outside, you know? And technology is amazing, man. You know, what we're doing right now in your transitioning place is something that we can't quantify how it will impact or influence other people. Maybe not at all, or maybe they get moved and they decide to make a positive change in reality in their life, or it plants a seed that grows into a tree later. And this technology that we have has connected the whole entire world, and yet simultaneously people are literally more isolated than they've ever been. They feel more disconnected from their communities. They feel more disconnected from themselves and from their internal voice. And they can't really hear what it is, you know, that, that is that truth, you know? So um, I guess what I would say is, is that if anybody's going through this right now, because this is the ultimate message of the book, whatever they're going through, if they can't figure something out, you know, of course, you can ask a friend, you can consult a coach, but you know, also find some time to be by yourself and just to allow that noise to go away so that you can hear that one true voice, be in nature for a while, because that one true voice is the voice that's going to give you your true north. And that will tell you your purpose and your passion. And I hope that this book inquire within is a window into people hearing their own voice. Oh my God. So good. At this point, I mean, you know, you're so, as a poet, you've, you've become so celebrated. I mean, you've got all these viral videos, you're award-winning, you know, poet, songwriter, but I'm always interested in, you know, those initial steps. Like how did you, how did you begin this journey? Yeah. So, um, I started out, I, you know, was raised in Santa Monica, as we were talking about briefly earlier. The rough, the rough streets. The rough streets. Of Santa Monica, California. That's where I'm moving, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you know? You never know. You never know. You never know. <laughs> so, um, 
but that's where I'm from. My dad was uh, not in the picture at all. My mom was a school teacher. She raised me on her own. Uh, and I fell in love with hip hop kind of when I was younger and um, was freestyling with my friends and just absolutely loved the expression of the music. And, uh, you know, I've said this before, but freestyling really, I think, was my first form of meditation um, because I had all of these things that were unresolved that I didn't really have an outlet for. I think I always felt like an outsider in my life, to be quite honest. Uh, you know, not having a father, I was always looking around at, you know, what a man was supposed to be. You know, I was observing myself very closely. Um, and I never really felt, I would say, comfortable. And, uh, and then being able to express myself through this art form was freedom. And when you're freestyling, you're not thinking about anything else but the next word. You don't have the luxury to. So it puts you in the moment, you know? And, uh, and then when I was 19, I wound up in an open mic for poets in Los Angeles that is literally right around the corner. Um, it's Greenway Court Theater. It's called the Poetry Lounge. And it's every Tuesday nights. And I showed up there literally just wide-eyed. But the first night I signed up on the list and I started doing my rapping, my rapping acapella and it, it pretty much I never turned back. Wow. They, they've gotten 350 people every single Tuesday night for the last 20 years. And people show up and they pack into this auditorium and it's like church without religion. And it was the first place that I saw people being celebrated for vulnerability. The same way people would respond in a cipher, you know, if someone said a, a great punchline or something like that. You know, people would throw up their hands, oh, you know, snap. And, um, and it was amazing, man. I just felt so alive. Some of the best art experiences I've ever had were as an audience member watching other poets on stage. Um, and those people became a community for me and ultimately a family. And then I was on HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam and won the National Poetry Slam Championships. And one day I woke up and realized, okay, I'm more of a poet than I am an MC. Um, and that was, that was the beginning of the journey. So what, what's the difference then? I mean, what, like, did you ever, because you grew up listening to hip hop, did you ever want to make the leap then from being a poet to being a hip hop artist or is that? It was backwards. It was backwards. I wanted to be an MC and I didn't want to be an MC. I was an MC. I just was never able to uh, turn it into something that I could monetize and make a living at it. Hmm. Um, and then I think being around poetry as long as I was, and all of us were heavily influenced by hip hop, the community was, um, but we also, you know, had a very different form of expression. And, uh, you know, no one can teach you what your voice is in art. They can teach you techniques, but your voice comes from experiencing your voice and being around other great voices. And so, you know, I learned on the job. That's amazing. Yeah, I, uh, you, you definitely have like this beautiful cadence to your voice. I mean, even when you're speaking just naturally, I wonder if that's something that's like, you know, just the response to the, you know, like you've inherited that just through your experiences and through, you know, the kinds of people you hang out with, or if that's just like some kind of God given, I don't know. No, I think probably the first thing. That the you first said. thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, you know, anything that you do winds up informing your life, you know, so all of the different things that you learn, it affects every single area of who you are. So I'm sure, you know, I've spent 25,000 hours, you know, in rhymes, you know, from songwriting to poetry to hip hop. Um, and 
even acting and comedy, you know, at, at different times, dabbling in that to expand my toolbox, so to speak. Um, and I would say that definitely is a part of me. I mean, it's cellular. Yeah. I've become really interested in flow states, mm. like that point at which a performer is sort of in the zone, quote unquote, you know, mm. and you must get there regularly when you're in your, when you're, when you're in your flow. What is that like? I mean, what does that, what does that feel like for you? Um, I'll answer and then I'll ask you as well, like <laughs> when you feel that way as well. Um, you know, for me, that's certainly always the goal, but it's not a goal that I can hold on to. I have to let go of it <laughs> because if I hold on to it, I'm going to suffocate that goal and you can't hold on to the flow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You just are the flow and it comes through you. Um, so I think, you know, many, many times when I'm on stage, I have the ability to disappear. And many times when I'm writing, I have the ability to disappear, but it's always a dance. You know, I am the vehicle and the obstacle for my poems in the creation and in the sharing. In the creation, I'm the vehicle because of course it's me, man. You know, it's my experiences, my life, my thoughts, my emotions, and that's what I put into my work. But I'm also the obstacle because, you know, sometimes I'm writing and I write something that's really great. And I'm like, man, that's fucking great, you know? But really that has more to do with my ego. It's not right. It's not really where the poem wants to go next. And so I have to pay attention to that to know when I'm getting in the way of the poem. And then in the sharing, it's the same thing. You know, I, I get up, of course, it's me doing it. It's my voice. It's my mood that day. You know, these are things that I believe in. But simultaneously, I, I want to be liked, man. <laughs> you know, I want to live in abundance. You know, I, I, I want, oh, wow, when I was single, that, that woman's beautiful. I mean, all these thoughts, of course, come into your mind. You want to make money, you want to blah, blah, blah. And that actually gets in the way of the communication of what the poem is really trying to say. So, you know, I have to be there, but I also have to get it out of the way so that the truth of the poem can shine through. Um, and when I do, that's when I'm in flow state. I love that. How can we, how do you get the obstacle out of the way? You know, for people, because I, I mean, I, I feel it yeah, what, what's your experience in flow state? And then, I mean, there's a, there are a few things that I, I mean, I, I definitely feel like um, I've always had a, just a great relationship with fitness. Whenever I'm having a great workout, I feel mm. like I'm in the flow, you know? I mean, I, I don't know how, that probably sounds so meatheady, but no, it doesn't. I mean, your I, body has as much information as your mind or your heart. I mean, yeah. more maybe, I don't know. I love it. Um, I, when I'm writing, when I'm just like really, when there's that meeting place when my comprehension of a topic and my ability to articulate it is coupled and I feel like I'm just sort of in this channel where mm. uh, I'm able to speak about a topic, um, you know, in a way that feels kind of limitless. Mm. To me, that, that, that feels like a, like a flow state. Do you get it when you're on stage as well? I do. Yeah, yeah. I get it when I'm on stage. And that's, I think what, I mean, I, I think that that's what you pick up on when you see great speakers. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying that I'm a great speaker, but, um, but you kind of get a sense that mm -hmm. they're, you know, that you can ask them a question and whether or not they know the answer to it, they're able to speak to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also feel a sense of flow when I'm 
playing music. I really enjoy playing music, and uh, right. it's one of my one of my big passions. What do you play? I guitar. Play, I guess I play. Yeah, I got some guitars around. I play guitar and I sing, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, both of those things have been, uh, you know, skills that I've worked very hard to acquire. Right. I wasn't a musician from you know I wasn't a musician growing up. Um, so, you know, they're, 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 uh, skills that I've acquired, you know, since my mid twenties and, um, and I love doing both, but, mm. uh, that's cool because it's one of those things where you always wish your parents put you in a yeah. program, you know, when you're a kid, there's those two things you like, wish you had an instrument and you wish you seriously knew Kung Fu. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, it's like one of the, t- cause it's harder when you're in your twenties or thirties to start to figure it out. Most things are harder as you calcify, but it's cool that you took the time to do that. I think you said something that was, you know, really valuable and resonated with me, which is that you use the word play, you know, and I think that's a part of flow state is just playing, you know, and yet as adults, we find some shit that we're good at, you know, we get paid for that. And that's the word we, I guess, calcify. And we stop playing. We stop exploring. We stop being surprised by life. Um, but that's where the flow is, you know? Yeah. Calcify, what a great word. So what are some of the, like, where, how, how deep do you go in Inquire Within? I mean, what's, what can readers expect when, uh, when picking up your first book? It's divided in two parts, mm-hmm. right? And one is sort of, you said, it's, it's about the inhale. Yeah. And the second part is about the exhale, which I think is so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we didn't want to overcomplicate it, you know, and I think it's what we all are doing constantly, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's um, what we try to pay attention to when we're meditating. And, you know, it's the first thing we do when we arrive and the last thing we do when we leave, you know. And the book is a lot about you know, forgiveness and uh, joy and pain and hope and love, you know, all of the experiences that we go through as, as human beings here on the planet. And then it's also about not only our individual experiences, but our collective experiences and what we're doing right now and where we're going. Um, and, you know, as I said earlier, I don't ever think, well, what's popular right now and I'll just do a poem about a social issue but you know I definitely pay attention to the world and I have opinions and I think you know poetry as an art form um, inspires empathy and I think empathy is what the world needs most right now Hmm. and I think people need to use their voice you know they have these tools and so they need to use their voice to build not to destroy you know but to say the things that they believe in through art or any other means. I mean, our lives are really our biggest art, you know? And if we look at it like that, you know, we can have fun with, uh, with where we put the brushstrokes. So well said. Well, I definitely, I mean, I want to hear some of your poems. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm, uh, I'm so excited. What are, like, what are the themes that, I mean, that you write about? So, like, social issues... I, another thing that I love about your book is that it's not just a passive poetry book. It really gets the reader, it draws the reader in and then it asks them to, I mean, as the title is inquire within, you know, as you, as you 
promise in the title, but it's it's kind of like a workbook in a way. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that would be the the biggest compliment. You know, when somebody comes up to me and says, oh, I saw you perform. I mean, I literally get to travel around the country and the world as you do performing and doing these poetry workshops. And uh, they're really transformative, man. You know, and when people come up to me and they're like, oh, I, I thought something or I felt something, I'm always really grateful and really moved. But when someone comes up to me and says, I did something, you know, I actually, you know, was reminded of something that was a deeper truth for me and I took an action that was positive in my life. That's like the biggest compliment. So there's nothing for anyone to do when they read it other than to pay attention to what resonates with them and then follow that breadcrumb trail. Um, I'm happy to do a poem if... Uh, I would love that. Yeah, for sure. Um, this, uh, this particular piece, I think it's a, you know, appropriate first piece. It's uh, called Home. I want to buy a house where I can make memories in every room. Plant a garden in my backyard and watch the flowers bloom. It will be big, but not so big the guests would get lost. It will be nice, but not so nice that everybody whispers, what it cost? Whew. It will have gorgeous views, but being higher doesn't mean superior. I've learned not to judge a house by what's on the exterior. It's what's on the interior, and I don't mean design, because a house is not a home unless the people are aligned. I used to want a mansion. I thought that'd bring me joy. I went and bought a lot of shit that I had no time to enjoy. I was working for a living, but it wasn't working because I wasn't living and a life without living is unfulfilling, filling up the empty space with all the things I was getting, yet I could never get enough or give enough to be enough. And that was constantly upsetting. Value is a tricky thing. Is it something that we own? Or is it something that we bring? I mean, experiences are priceless, and it doesn't cost a thing, because once you make your mind up, you can accomplish anything, even if it seems impossible. Impossible is possible. We take for granted that defying gravity is illogical. Intend what you desire, and your will will be unstoppable. See, hope can be despair in disguise. So instead I decide, then I watch as my reality realigns. After all, what is time if it's different in a different place? We're all in one place, floating out in outer space. They'll never bottle time. You can't buy anymore. And if you could, it'd be sold out at every corner store. So lately I've been thinking, what if less is really more? if my mortality is what I'm really living for. I want to slide in socks across Italian marble floors. I want imported art to fill up every corridor. I want my kids to use my bed like it's their trampoline, to walk on top of my couch like it's their balance beam. I want to use my things so they aren't using me. 
After all, the most important things in life are free. We only borrow land. We only borrow time. We only borrow love. But you can borrow mine. My house is your house. Stay over anytime. If you're a friend, you'll have a permanent vacancy sign. Community is what our culture's lacking. We pretend to be connected, but mostly it's just unscripted acting. We isolate ourselves and hide from our emotions, then pack our schedules as an excuse to stay in motion. I'm living by the beach, and yet I never see the ocean. It's always out of reach in the midst of my commotion. God forbid I'd have to sit alone without distraction. It's tough to notice thoughts when I'm constantly in action. No matter what your status is, that isn't satisfaction. So I don't only care what you do, I care that you're doing it with passion. That's why we all should share our gifts and cultivate compassion. Because the fastest way to bliss is through a meaningful interaction. And since I'm not even sure that we exist, I've started asking if this world of form is merely the illusion of attachment. If I could let it all go, my roof would be the stars. My floor would be the earth. My doors would be ajar. My walls would be the wind. My seat would be a stone. My bed would be the clouds, and my heart would be my home. But since I want a family and I don't live this life alone, I'm going to buy a house where I can make memories in every room. Damn. When did you write that? Um, probably like five years ago. I got goosebumps. Thank you, man. I love watching your face. Just like you could tell that you derive real joy from what you do. And that's just amazing. It's, it's really inspiring. Thank you, man. You know, what I said earlier was really true is that, you know, these poems, it's like either me purging or praying or both, you know. So that poem specifically, you know, was a manifestation. And uh, I'm still living into it in many ways. All of my poems, I guess I'm constantly relearning from because they're the things that I'm trying to teach myself. Um, and what a, what a great excuse <laughs> for me to have the opportunity to re-remind myself of the lessons that I need to continue to learn. What was, it, what was that poem a response to? I think, uh, you know, the consumerism that we were probably speaking about earlier. You know, uh, I always wanted to have this huge home you know this you know, my mom and i grew up in a an apartment you know rent control apartment and then you know i never usually talk about this actually but when we were like i think i was 12 or something we got robbed pretty badly hmm. and uh it was a personal thing you know i won't go into details but so they they fucked up the house too like you know cut my mom's clothes and dumped water all over the couches and uh, stole everything. Everything, baseball cards I had, you know, everything was gone. My Nintendo, <laughs> mm. dating myself here. But, um, and uh, 
And then they broke into another place that was in our apartment complex. It was like a, a bit of a thing. So uh, we ended up leaving. And uh, we were lucky enough, my cousin um, ended up loaning my mom some money and they split on a condo on the other side of town. And uh, so in my mind, it was always like, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I wanted a family, you know, like a full family. And I wanted a big house, you know, that was the whole thing. And I think I probably carried that with me unconsciously into adulthood. And then you're constantly reminded of that, of course, in popular culture. You know, you need this, buy this. That's the only way you'll be loved. You know, these are the underlying messages that uh, are, we're being bombarded with in every direction from billboards to commercials. Um, and I think I just realized, wow, I actually don't, not only like, is it not what I need to be happy? It's not what I want. Like, I'm into access, not excess, you know? And I think even capitalism in general, I mean, I'm definitely a capitalist, but I'm a conscious capitalist. I mean, this idea that people are, you know, profiting off of other people's suffering or the planet's suffering and that we're okay with that as a society, you know? And I'm a part of it too, man, you know? I had said this to somebody the other day, you know, when you're a kid or a young adult, you're like, I'm going to fucking change the system. <laughs> you know, everybody's like that. They're like, I'm going to change the system. And then you start to grow up and, you know, you kind of become a part of the system. And then if you're not careful, you'll become the system. You know, so I'm just in that negotiation with myself of, you know, trying to make sure that through my art and through my life, I don't become the system. Yeah, I love what you what you said about access being better than excess. But I would take that a step further. I mean, I think to some degree, access is better than ownership in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we were just talking about like buying a house versus renting a house. Right. Like, you know, I think there's this thing like people tend to like think about how many people they live up. They try to live up to this ideal of having like the nice car, right? right? putting your money in a car is like one of the worst right. financial decisions you can make. But beyond that, I mean, it just keeps you tethered to, you know, the, the constant cycle of like earning just so that you can like stay afloat, you know? Right. Whereas I think if you can kind of just use your money to, to access the things, you know, and, and not have to hold on to these like depreciating assets because they're yeah. depreciating financially. Right. But they're also depreciating in terms of their emotional in terms of the emotional value that they have. That's right. Because you have that fancy car sitting in your driveway and it doesn't just depreciate monetarily. It depreciates in terms of your own, the own, the, you know, the value that you yourself place on That's it because so true. of hedonic adaptation, right? That's so true. What is hedonic ad adaptation? Well, like hedonism is like, you know, when we seek pleasure, so something right. that's hedonic or right, hedonistic, right, right. you know? Exactly. And so hedonic adaptation is just like the fact that it's inevitably going to be difficult, if not impossible, to maintain an appreciative re relationship with something that is always around. Right. Right? Like the guitar that I have over there hanging on my wall, I pined for that guitar mm. for years before I could afford to buy it. Mm. And then I finally was able to afford the guitar that I wanted. I've always wanted that guitar. Mm. And now what does it do? It just sits on my freaking wall. And 90% of the time these days, it's invisible to me. Right. I'm still glad that I own the guitar. Right, of course. But... <laughs> But it's just, that's like human nature. Well, I got to say, it's a beautiful guitar. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> yeah, I think to your point, man, there's never an end to more. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, so if more is your goal, you'll never arrive. Exactly. You Spoken know? like a true poet. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Man, well, what else you got? Dude, I was, <laughs> I mean. Um, yeah, I have, a, I have a bunch of different things. What, uh, what subjects are you interested in in your own oh, personal man. life right now? We were so, uh, you know, nonchalant about, <laughs> you know, the, the vibe of this, which is great. Because yeah. I think it, it makes it so authentic and natural. So anything it. you're feeling right now, I'm sure I have a piece for. Well, what's like, what was, uh, how often are you writing poems? I mean, what's your, what's your workflow? Or like, what's your, where, when, how often does inspiration strike? I mean, what's, you know, like... Uh, are you, do you, do you, what's your, what's your routine? You know, like, yeah. do you dedicate a few hours every day to kind of sit and get creative? Or are you more like when lightning strikes kind of more of a creative opportunist? Like, how does it work for you? Yeah. I mean, luckily lightning strikes all the time hmm. for everyone, by the way. Wow. They just don't pay attention, you know? Um, but if you really train yourself to pay attention to the things that jump out at you throughout the day and you start creating from that place, you will have a much easier time uh, actually finishing something. You know, if I sat down and I was like, I'm going to write a great poem right now, that is a lot of fucking pressure, man. I mean, honestly, for me to sit down and be like, I'm going to write a great poem, <laughs> and then I'm just looking at a blank page, infinite possibilities, where do I start? You know, oh, no, it's not great. The first line isn't great. It's like, geez, man, forget all that. You know, I think that there's something to be said for working on your craft, putting in your hours, you know, but then that's just for your hours and for your technique. And like anything else, you'll look back and you'll say, wow, I, I have all of these tools, you know, all of these techniques that I've learned in this by the experience of writing and sharing or painting and you know, uh, playing, whatever it is, right? Um, but in terms of inspiration, I mean, it comes when it comes. Yeah. And most of the time, people just let it pass right by. And I'll always stop. You know, I was in a conversation with somebody uh, recently. This is the last thing that happened like that. And we were talking about nature. And I said, uh, I said, you know, birds aren't singing to win a Grammy. You know, they don't want to go platinum. And then, of course, I said, all right, that's true. Huh. And so I stopped and I wrote it down. And then when I returned to that place, it's already in a real place. You know, so if someone wants to create art, and this is not only for writing, I believe this for every part of, you know, any genre, the easiest way to do it is to pay attention to the thing that you're actually like drawn to and then start the, the piece in that place. And you'll see that the flow comes a lot more easily. Um, so I don't force myself to sit down at all anymore um, because I, I feel I've put in so many hours at this point that it's almost like overtraining. Hmm. You know, I, I would be better off going in, you know, taking a boxing class or, or going to yoga or spending time with a great friend, you know, than trying to sit down and write. 
Um, and then the last thing I'd say is this book took so much of my attention in a really good way because I just wanted to make uh, a home for my art, you know, and it's the first product I've ever had, you know, and I don't mean product is like a marketing thing or, I mean, it's just the first thing that I've created that people can hold in their hands. I mean, these poems have always been living, breathing documents for me. I've shown up, I've performed, and then I just vanish with the art. So this is the first time that I'm actually giving it away. And I'm like shit at self-promotion, man. You know, like I'd rather just hang out with you than be like, we're here at the fucking spot and, you know, put up the phones and stuff like that. But it's a joy to promote the book because I see it as separate from me. And I want it to have a life of its own. And I know that it will, you know, affect people however it's supposed to affect people. And uh, so this is an interesting experience, this book, because it's like there's 60 illustrations and people can kind of like, uh, have a chance for these images to deepen their experience of the poetry. They're written in an order that has a very specific conceptual through line. Hmm. So it's meant to take people somewhere and to be read from beginning to end. And then people can go back and flip through. And then also the audiobook, man. The audiobook was its own mountain to climb, but it was such a great view at the top. Wow. You know, we did two and a half hours and I looked at it like I was making four albums. So we made sure that everything, you know, did as much justice as it could to the work. And I'm so, so proud of that and excited to give that away to the world. So I think once I get through this stage, I'll start writing again. Um, but right now, you know, all of these creative things that I've learned from this experience of making the book is going to inform my next batch of poetry. Because I think I'm a better poet after creating this book than before, which is a gift. That's amazing. As you were as you were talking, I think I I, I came upon the theme that uh, you know if you have a poem that maybe fits this theme. A, a big thing I think for my listeners, mm. for me, and especially I think for the world in this current climate that we're in politically, I think something about like empathy, mm. you know, and, and connection and kindness. Yeah, you know, something that that kind of speaks to that. If you've if you've got anything that kind of yeah. touches on that, because you know, at the end of the day, I think it's important that people really recognize that we're all in this freaking thing together. Yeah, and we might sure. bicker and we might argue and we might disagree and that's fine. But as long as we can be kind to one another and, yeah. and remain open, I think that uh, we'll pull through. We can pull through, you know, anything. I, I fully agree with that, man. Yeah, this is, a, this is a piece that's called Together. I wish it didn't take a disaster to bring us together. I wish it didn't take wildfires or hurricane weather. I wish it didn't take a tragedy for us to just be better to each other. To have respect and care for one another. To look out for our sisters and our brothers, for our fathers and our mothers, no matter their religion or their colors, no matter their political opinions or the gender of their lovers, there's nothing that the human story doesn't cover. But usually we judge a book by its cover. We skip the content as if we know what we'll uncover. Then use our certainty as an excuse to blame each other. We shame each other as if we're not the same each other. Yet when disaster strikes, the world unites to put aside our pride and do what's right. 
We'd sacrifice our lives to do what's right because it's right. In spite of everything that came before. The very people that we used to fight, now we fight for. And it makes me wonder if that's human nature at its core. We want to help our neighbors, we just don't know who they are. We want to help our neighbors, we just don't know where they are. I watch you kicking down the door facing danger for a stranger while I donate from afar wishing that I could do more, wishing we could show the type of generosity we do in a catastrophe except before. Like on the Congress floor. Shouldn't we feed the poor? I mean, or offer benefits for soldiers coming back from war? Provide health care for those of us who can't afford it? Or higher education for the next generation without credit card extortion? Why can't we all agree that black lives matter? That there aren't fine people that are screaming white power? And that all lives matter is a narcissistic trend where white people made Black Lives Matter about them. Shouldn't cops stop shooting unarmed black men? Shouldn't women earn the same exact amount as men? Aren't we all Americans? Aren't we all immigrants? Our values should be so much more important than our differences. Our values are what gives us our significance. We only change the world because of ideals and innocence, an adolescent country unburdened by experience, just naive enough to take democracy serious, just naive enough that we could heed freedom's call. But now instead of building bridges, we've resorted to a wall. Aren't we all for one? Aren't we one for all? Why does it have to take a tragedy for us to stand tall when our capacity to give love is beyond measure? I wish it didn't take a disaster to bring us together. Oh, man, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, that was written, the first line was right around the corner because I was at the lounge and I don't get to go as often as, uh, as I used to. I mean, I literally went every Tuesday night for, you know, 14 years or something like that. And, uh, I was there, I was visiting and I was talking to this dude outside and, you know, there was one of the many disasters. I don't even, to be honest, remember which one, cause there were so many going on, you know, constantly one after another now like the news cycle you don't hold on to anything because you know by the time you start to learn about it there's something else and I was talking to him outside and I just said you know I wish it didn't take a disaster to bring us together and then I said hold on let me write that down and that's that's where the piece started you know if I if I said I want to write a piece about bringing us together or empathy and I sat down where would I start I mean that just seems <laughs> that seems like scary but when I started in a place that was true, because I paid attention, then the piece wrote me, man. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's definitely a hook. I, uh, and, you know, it's just crazy that today I feel like a lot of these, you know, disasters, public, you know, uh, they, uh, crises, they still, I mean, 
they can still divide people, you know? Like, I mean, now we're dealing with this, like, coronavirus thing. Yeah. And, um, and there's a lot of confusion. There's really no, I mean, I haven't seen a single, like, expert emerge, you know, to help allay people's concerns, which, you know, I think are warranted. Um, But then, you know, you go on Twitter and you see people are like, well, you know, like, this politician didn't, you know, act the way he was, but, you know, I mean, it's just like... uh, and I'm not an expert in this, you know, I don't, I, I've barely begun to, to, you know, look into it or investigate myself. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that we should definitely like, I mean, these are, these are, these are examples of when we need to come together as a species, you know, not totally not further fracture. Yeah, totally, man. You know, they're, they're thinking about, I mean, I have so much to say on this subject. I don't know if we should <laughs> spend the, the, podcast time on it but um i'm happy to i'm happy to dive in or unhappy to dive in the whole coronavirus thing yeah man i've been following it for a while seriously yeah i've been i've been kind of deep in it for like wow three weeks just kind of reading as much as i could about it and uh, i certainly don't know what the fuck i'm talking about so no one should listen to me but they are thinking about you know canceling the the olympics right now the point i was going to say was is that uh you know the Japan Olympics, they're thinking of canceling because they don't want that many people to come from around the world, be in close quarters, and then just disperse back. Right. You know, and um, the last time that they canceled like an Olympics was for like a world war, hmm. you know, and it's just interesting, man. You know, if a spaceship showed up right now, we'd all be human beings first, mm-hmm. immediately. You know, we'd look at each other <laughs> And we'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. None of races, religions, you know. And it's the same thing with climate change. You know, climate change doesn't give a shit about our nations. <laughs> it doesn't respect these imaginary boundaries that we've created, you know. Um, and it's the same thing with a virus, you know. The scary thing about all of these things is we have a choice as humanity. You know, we either further descend into populism and cut ourselves off from other people. I mean, with, with a virus, of course, there is self-quarantine if it's out there, and that's a part of it, is you don't know who has it, and so there's a fear that comes from connecting at that point. But in general, we still have an overarching decision to make, which is, are we in this together, or are we gonna get as much as we can on our own, you know, and block ourselves off from everyone else, you know? And, uh, I think that we need to look at these larger things as opportunities to bring humanity together and to realize that we are all on this rock floating in the middle of space and uh, how do, are we going to evolve or are we going to devolve? And ultimately it's the collective choice of our conscious and unconscious that's going to answer that. Yeah, I've been... Uh binge watching with my with my little brothers this show walking dead mm. walking dead yeah have, have you seen it have yeah you, great show yeah yeah um i've uh it's been going on for a long time but it's a very similar it, th- this whole coronavirus thing has made me think of the show right because you know it's like humanity ultimately against this zombie infection right, right? but even amongst the humans there's these uh, gangs, right. basically, and they're just killing one another. Yeah, and you're like, you idiots! <laughs> you, you know, 
we are not the enemy yeah. to one another. Yeah, it's true. It's the greater threat, you know, it's the, it's the zombie virus. It's the coronavirus. It's the climate change. It's all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but it, it's the only way to defeat these things is for us all to come together and to figure out the solutions, you know, um, and then to implement them. Yeah. Um, well, dude, I'm like, uh, I think the book is amazing. I feel like people would be remiss to not get the audio book and the printed book. I mean, like, because so much of your poetry, I mean, it just, it comes alive with the musicality of your voice. Thanks, man. It's, yeah. um, I have this like, you know, but when we started doing this, I was like, man, I hope that people take shrooms, you know, and they just take the book in their hands and they listen to the audio book <laughs> And they just go through this, you know, kind of wild ride. Um, and, you know, all of my pieces, they wind up in a positive place. Hmm. You know, occasionally some are, are problem oriented, you know, just to shock people into awareness. But always in the end, they're solution minded um, because I want to treat my audience the way that I want to treat myself. I had this uh, experience that I kind of write about in the book, actually. I remember like um, many years ago, I, I had a breakup and I was like in this real negative place, you know? And I was like, all right, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna write my breakup poem, you know? So I go home, I sit on my couch and I'm like about to start writing my breakup poem. And then I said, maybe, maybe I should read my other breakup poems first. Hmm. So I decided to read over my other breakup poems and. I'm like embarrassed to admit, but there was like nine of them. <laughs> it wasn't nine different women, but it was nine poems. So that's like 30 minutes, man. You know, so I sit there and I read all of my poems in a row out loud, you know. And when I finished, I was like, oh, I don't need to write a new breakup poem because all of my old breakup poems are applicable to my current breakup. I need to figure out why I'm continuing to create the same lesson in a different disguise over and over again. And that was a, a real turning point in my writing because up until that point, I think I wasn't alchemizing my pain, you know, through my art. I was almost perpetuating it. Hmm. And it was necessary because it was part of my obsession to put in the amount of hours that I did. But ultimately, I felt like I was playing this recorded you know, story over and over again. And from that point on, I, I pretty much decided that I was going to write from my pain. I mean, I'm not one of these people who's like, you know, law of attraction to the point where everything is positive all the time. You know, I'm positive all the time. I think that's bullshit. You know, part of the human experience is the negative emotions. But how you navigate those negative emotions and how you process them and where you operate from, that's your choice. And you either victimize yourself or you find a way to be empowered. And so I started to uh, take the standpoint of writing my poetry from a place that was empowered um, and taking whatever I was going through and you know, creating the path. So I hope that when people are listening to this or reading the book that they trust that it's gonna wind up in a place that uh, will allow them to have infinite possibilities and hope for themselves and for the future. And uh, that's a fun ride. Yeah. 
I was going to ask, I'm glad you brought up the, you know, the breakup poetry, you know, because the first poem was about consumerism that you read us. The second poem was about togetherness and empathy. These are big society, you know, the themes are very big. They're much bigger than, than, you know, any one of us, which are, are there any poems, you know, that come to mind that were really difficult for you to write because they were so personal? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. The poem I wrote about my dad is uh, is an extremely personal poem, you know. And I mean, I'll share it if you're interested. I, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's called Father Time, and um, ultimately, this is a piece that's about forgiveness, and uh, and it's about taking whatever it is that you've gone through, whether you understand it or not, and finding a way to be grateful for it. Um, but first by acknowledging whatever it is that's really going on for you, so. I'm staring at the number wondering if I should call. I can hear the tick-tock from the clock on the wall as it meshes with the thump-thump beat of my heart. Sometimes getting something started is the hardest part. I didn't meet my dad until I was 15. I'd seen his photograph, but his image was sickening. A coward with a dick, but no balls to back it up. See, when he left me as a kid, I had cause for acting up. The funny thing about hate is the person you hate doesn't feel that hate. You feel that hate, but wait. The weight can be too much for a person to take, and personally, I was hurt, so I just locked it away. I was angry all the time, and I didn't know why. I couldn't handle my rage, so I would hide it inside. Pretending everything was fine became a daily pastime. Time passed, and I started to believe in my own lies. I took it out on my mom because she raised me alone. The rage I couldn't own had left me totally numb. It was like landmines in my mind that I didn't understand, so when the boy inside cried, the young man outside yelled. I think I learned about my masculinity from TV. The people weren't real, so I knew they couldn't leave me. I would sit there for hours right in front of the tube. The images that I saw were my depiction of truth. It was manhood in a box, and I bought into it. The censorship of anything inside of me that's sensitive. The sentence is, a lifetime of tears, suppressed in a stone face, an overblown ego they've distracted through a paper chase. Back when I was nine, I imagined in my mind that my father was a spy working for the FBI, and that's why he couldn't stop by right or drop a line. He was off saving our lives from the bad guys, but that was just a lie that I used to get by so that you wouldn't see the tears welling up in my eyes. When you're rejected by the person that you're created by, you secretly feel like you don't have a right to your life. I thought if I confronted him, then it would make it all right. But since I couldn't forgive him, it just recycled my spite. I remember meeting him for the first time. Every time a person passed by, I would ask, Mom, is that him? I look a little like him, right? No? Oh. What about that guy? 
And that was what it was like to meet the man that gave me my life. To shake his hand and look into his eyes. We talked till he apologized, then said our goodbyes. I walked away on my own, then I began to cry. Now for years after that, I acted like it was all resolved. I told him what I thought, so I figured problem solved. But it just re-evolved. My insecurities were eating at my mental health. I took it out on the world because I hated myself. That's when I finally decided I needed some help. I opened up. I started writing and sharing about my past. I got honest with myself and I started chipping at my mask. I looked into the mirror and confronted what I saw, accepting the reflection by embracing every flaw, then directing the connection into breaking down the walls by reflecting the perfection of the God inside us all. I stopped focusing on everything that I had been hateful for and started focusing on everything that I could be grateful for. And personally, there is a lot I can be thankful for. If pain is dragging you down, just cut the ankle cord. That's when the weight lifted and I really started living. That's when my hate shifted and I really started giving. It's when my fate twisted. It was like an ego exorcism. Your mind state can be the most powerful of prisons. My father never played catch with me or gave advice. But if nothing else, that man gave me my life. And that's enough for me. If that's all he could ever give. Because I'm appreciative for every day I get to live. And even though I don't need my dad to validate me. I thought that I should write this poem to thank him for creating me because every moment that we are alive is like a gift. And if that's not enough to forgive, then what is? I'm staring at the number wondering if I should call. I can hear the tick-tock from the clock on the wall as it meshes with the thump-thump beat of my heart. Sometimes getting something started is the hardest part. I pick the phone up. The dial tone begins to sing. I punch his number into it and it begins to ring, ring, ring. Hello, Mike. Hey, man, it's... uh. It's Adam, your son. Wow. Oh, man. I want to know how that call went. <laughs> uh, oh, man. I, I, think, uh, I think I'll save that one for another day. <laughs> Dude, well, it's such a joy to, to know you, and um, I love your work. And are you now, are you touring? Like, are you, you know, performing in cities across the U.S.? Like, what's your... Yeah, I know this is going to drop on April 1st. Um, and we're doing a show in San Fran on April 1st. Um, and, uh, and then we're doing a show in L.A. on April 3rd. Hmm. Um, and then we're doing a big show in New York, but it's on the 28th of March. And, uh, yeah, L.A. will be about 1,000 people at the Palace. Wow. And, uh, 
you know, New York is about 700 and they're all beautiful, beautiful theaters. Um, in fact, the one in New York, I think is an old church and the one in San Fran is like breathtaking, man. Wow. So I'm really excited about all those. And then I'm going to be traveling around doing corporate gigs and workshops and bookshops and, you know, uh, really anywhere that I can help spread the word on, on the book and on the poetry in general. I believe in the art form. Like I really do believe in poetry. And I think, um, I think that it can be, uh, as big as any other genre in art. You know, I think poets can be on late night shows and have their own sitcoms and be on the cover of magazines and stuff like that. So I'm just like honored to be a part of the wave. There's a lot of really, really great poets that are out there right now that people can discover, um, you know, from Atticus to uh, Jessica to, you know, Saul Williams, uh, Lemon Anderson, Javon Johnson, Omari Hardwick. All of these people are really inspiring to me. So I hope that, uh, that people are willing to look at not only what poetry is, but what it can be and what it can be for them. What is, I mean, what does society offer in terms of like poetry discovery these days i mean like where you know, we have spotify for music we have like where can people find other poets that they might be interested in yeah i mean that that is part of the problem i mean it's why it took me so long to figure out how to monetize what i do and you know i had to, i mean it's a whole nother you know breadcrumb trail but i had to get into music writing before i was able to have the financial freedom to really re approach how to make a business out of poetry without losing my integrity hmm. um and luckily i had a lot of success in that and it allowed me the foundation to build on but there's you know with this genre not a lot of support or infrastructure so we're all kind of pirates man we're just running around like you know artistic entrepreneurs figuring out how to get uh, our words out there um and like, for example, I have a friend, Sekou Andrews, who's an incredible poet, and he was nominated for uh, a Grammy this year for an album that he did. Um, and yet it's in the spoken word category. And so it was him, who I think is one of the first modern poets to be nominated for a Grammy, but he was with other authors, you know? So Michelle Obama won, you know, which of course is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there should be its own category. You know, poetry should have its own category. Or I have another great friend, Rudy Francisco, who's an amazing poet, and he was on Jimmy Fallon. Part of the reason that I even made this book in the first place is because I was talking to him and I was like, dude, how'd you get on Fallon? And he said, you know, they don't book poets. He said, I had a book. And they booked me as an author and then allowed me to perform my poetry. And so there's not a lot of infrastructure for poets to step into the limelight. But I mean, I, I think that there'll be a poet on Saturday Night Live within the next three years. I think if you want to break a genre, you have to make a star. And if you make one star, it's an anomaly. And if you make a few, it's a, it's a movement. And so that's why I said, I'm just kind of honored to be a part of this wave. And, uh, and I believe in it. Amen to that. You are a star, my friend. Um, I got one last question for you, but before we get to that, um, where can listeners pick up your book and how can they connect with you on social media? Yeah, so the book, you can go to my website, which is in-q.com. 
And uh, you can pick it up there or, you know, Amazon, of course, or it should be in local bookstores. We, it's coming out with uh, Harper One. Um, so uh, it should be far and wide. And definitely, definitely pick it up because I think we're pretty close to being able to uh, possibly at least get on the New York Times bestsellers list. And that would be a real step forward for me and in, in, in many ways, just a continued step forward for the art form. Um, and then on social media, I'm at NQ Life. And uh, definitely, if you get the book, tag me in it. Let me know what you think. Um, I'm just really excited to connect with as many people as possible and uh, to have my work uh, in the world in a new way. I love that. Um, yeah, you guys, go support. Inquire Within is the name of the book. And I know this is coming out the day of your show in SF, but if you live in the Bay Area... April 1st, he's performing, and April 3rd, you're performing in LA. Yeah. So we'd love to go to that. That sounds amazing. We will definitely set you up with tickets if you're still here, you know, or San Fran or New York. Any any of them, we got you, man. Dope. Um, thank you, brother. Uh, well, the last question that gets asked everybody on this show is, uh, what does it mean to you to live a genius life? What does living a genius life mean to you in Q? I think... Uh, just being a seeker, you know, like asking questions about myself and my environment and how I can be uh, a better version of myself on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, those are the people I tend to be attracted to. You know, it's not about success or money or anything like that. It's just about are you, are you a seeker? You know, are you striving to um, see how you can grow and evolve? And I think that's what living a genius life is, is just the ability to um, wake up every day and say, what's next? And, and who will I be today? Love that. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, NQ, for being here and for reading your beautiful poetry. Thank you, sh man. Sharing that with us. And can I just say real quick, thank you for having me, man, because I know you have so much going on. And I, I want to say this out loud while, while the thing is recording. It, it's always amazing to me. You created a relationship with your audience and they trust you, man. And so for you to open up your platform to me and your listeners to me, that's an honor, man. And I acknowledge that and I appreciate that. So thank you for making the time and the space. And I, I'm a fan of yours as well. So, you know, keep shining your light bright. Dude, thank you. Um, that means a lot. And uh, what can I say? My audience is the shit. Yeah, they're the bomb. There it is. Um, they are geniuses. Well, guys, thank you so much, as always, for tuning in and for listening to NQ. Again, pick up his book. Um, and uh, spread this episode of the show. Spread the, the word about what we're doing here at The Genius Life. Text me. You can text me if you live in the U.S. or Canada at 310-299-9401. Hit me up. And I will catch you on the next episode. Peace out, guys. The Genius Life. The Genius Life.